Our scripture reading this morning, our Old Testament reading is Psalm 23. Psalm 23, page 631 in the Church Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. Hear God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wonderful passage speaking about how the Lord is our shepherd, a theme we've been looking at together. And now we turn to John 21. We have two New Testament readings, John 21, verses 15 through 19, on page 1250. uh, It's not our sermon text, but it's another very fitting and appropriate reading. Uh, these, These two New Testament texts, this one and the next one we'll read, are both also speaking of how uh, the Lord is our shepherd, but he's raised up under shepherds to serve his church. John 21, 15 through 19. This is God's very word. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. You, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And over to First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is our sermon text. Page uh, 1,394 in the Church Bible. First Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you. You are the great God who spoke this word, and we are the poor creatures who need it. We cannot hear it in faith on our own. We need you, your grace, your spirit, to come and open our hearts to receive it. To do this once again for us, we pray. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, we pray, that we might bring forth fruit to your glory. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. We've been considering this topic of shepherding, about how the Lord is the shepherd of his people, and how then the Lord raises up under shepherds for his people uh, to serve in his church. We started with Ezekiel 34 uh, a couple of weeks ago, that glorious passage where the Lord comes and he, he comes to the faithless and false rulers of Israel. He calls them shepherds, but he says, Woe to you, shepherds. He condemns them for how they have failed to care for the flock of God. These shepherds in Ezekiel's time have been slaughtering the flock instead of feeding the flock. The sheep get lost, they don't go look for them. The sheep get hurt, they don't go care for them. The Lord comes in Ezekiel 34 and he says, I'm the shepherd of my people. I will shepherd them. I'll seek them when they're lost, bind them up when they're sick, feed them all that they need. I'll care for them perfectly. And then, and then last Lord's Day, we looked at John chapter 10, where Jesus comes, and with Ezekiel 34 ringing loud in the background, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one promised in Ezekiel 34, where the Lord said that he would shepherd his people. Well, this is the clearest that we've ever seen this. Jesus comes, and he's the shepherd, God and man together, as the shepherd of his people. And we, we looked last time about how Jesus shepherds us, how he lays down his life for us, how he loves us with a perfect and tender love, uh, where he not only is willing to put his life at risk for us, right? The wolves are coming and Jesus doesn't just go face them with the possibility that he might lose his life. No, he goes and lays down his life willfully, gladly for his people. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who loves my sheep, lays down my life for my sheep, the one who knows my sheep. And we looked at how this means, what this means for us is, is that Jesus is, is really our pastor. Right? That's what a shepherd is in the New Testament. He's a pastor. Jesus is the pastor of the church. He's the one who leads us, feeds us, cares for us, disciplines us. But that's not all there is to say, right? It's wonderful to, to think of these things. But, but the, the question that then follows where we are this morning is, well, how does Jesus shepherd his church? How does he pastor his church? How does he pastor us? How does he lead us, feed us, protect us? In John 21, which we just read a few minutes ago, uh, we see part of the answer, don't we? Jesus comes to Peter Right? Jesus has said to Peter already, I'm the good shepherd in John 10. Now John 21, he comes to Peter, he says, Now Peter, you go shepherd my sheep. You go be an under-shepherd for my sake over my sheep. You go care for them. 
So Jesus does this to Peter, and, and he says this really to all the apostles, and he raises up the apostles as leaders in his church to shepherd the flock of God. But then what happens? Well, then Peter goes, and he sees that, he, you know, he goes out, he's doing what Jesus told him to do, he's feeding the flock, he's caring for the churches, he's, he's planting churches, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's doing what Jesus called him to do, and then, and then he sees that these churches also need under-shepherds. So he appoints under-shepherds. Right? Just like Jesus appointed him, now he's sending out, he's appointing elders and pastors in these churches to lead them and shepherd them and care for them. And so he writes here in 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes this letter to them and he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so, loved ones, that is our charge. That is the command that the elders of this church that, that we have laid on us by God through Scripture, shepherd the sheep, care for the people of God. And that's, that's why we're doing these shepherding groups. It's, it's just a tool that, that, uh, that, that we are using to help us achieve this end better. Um, we're not trying to uh, be innovative or, or come up with something you know, that, that's slick and that works great. We're, we're trying to be biblical, trying to do what God has called us to do, to do it faithfully, to do it well. God says, shepherd the flock, and that's what we're striving to do, and, and that's what we want to obey Him in. And so that's, that's why we're taking up this text this morning. So let's dive in here. First Peter chapter 5, 1-5, through 5. Let's, let's dive in. We're just going to walk through it verse by verse here. So Peter is charging the elders. He's commanding them to fulfill their calling, to be faithful under shepherds. That's the main point of the text. But before he gets there, he has a bit of an on-ramp, or he gets up to speed. And, um, and he begins by, by pointing out who he is. It's really quite interesting. He, he, he kind of lays some groundwork for his own credibility before he gives them the command that he does. So let's start there in verse 1. He begins by saying to them that he's a fellow elder with them. He identifies himself as, as another elder, just like they are. It's interesting that he does that, isn't it? I mean, he could have appealed, he's about to give them a command, he, he could have appealed to his authority as an apostle. Right, I, I think of, uh, you know, this is, this is the leader of the early church. This is Peter. Right? This is the one that Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. On Peter and his confession of faith in me, I'll build my church. And, and uh, uh, this is, you know, Peter could have said, I am the apostle Peter. You better listen up. But he doesn't do that. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I think of those words we looked at just recently in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul himself talks about something very similar. He says this to the Thessalonian church, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul is saying there, we didn't throw our weight around. We didn't push people around and make demands as apostles, even though we could have. He said, we were, we were humble, we were tender among you. Paul, there in, second, in First Thessalonians, says he was tender like a nursing mother with her children. And Peter is, Peter is echoing that sentiment here. He's, he's actually doing what he's about to tell the elders themselves to do in verse 3, to, to shepherd humbly, gently, submissive to the Lord and, and in humility before each other. 
So that's what Peter is doing. It's, right, this isn't like um, the guy from management who's never done your job coming down you know, to, to your office or your job and saying, let me, let me tell you how to do this job when you know he's never been in your shoes. This is, this is more like the, uh, the general who, who kind of, he, he, had a, he did his time, he went through the ranks, and now he comes to you in the trenches and he says, let me, let me speak to you, not as a general, but as one soldier to another. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you what you need to be doing right now. You know he has that authority behind what he's saying, but he's coming to you as a fellow, as a peer. And that's what Peter is doing here. Then he goes on, he describes himself further. He, he says he's a fellow elder. He also says that, uh, that he, he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He, he, he doesn't point so much to himself here. He's really pointing them to Jesus and what Jesus did. He's reminding them of the heart and core of the gospel. Of course, this is what makes an apostle an apostle. It's someone who was, a, was an eyewitness appointed by Jesus to go bear testimony to what he saw. Uh, but, but, uh, and that's what, that's what Peter's doing. But he's also drawing the attention of the elders uh, in the churches he's addressing here. He's drawing their attention to Christ. Specifically to the sufferings of Christ. He wants them to have that, uh, to have that at, the, at the center of their vision. Right, he's, he's saying to them, I'm shepherding as an under-shepherd because of what I've, what I've witnessed Jesus do. I'm, I'm following his example, and I'm proclaiming the salvation of his sufferings to the world, and that's what we are called to do as under-shepherds. It doesn't just point to the sufferings of Christ. He looks at the other half as well, the other half of the picture, the rest of the verse. He says, I'm also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He points to the glory that's coming, right? That's, the, that's what Christ went through, suffering, then glory. Peter says, that's what I'm going to go through as well. I'm going through the suffering in union with Christ. And I'll rise in glory in union with Christ. This is so personal for Peter, isn't it? He, he saw Christ suffer. He saw the empty tomb. He ran there on Easter morning. He saw it. He saw Jesus ascend. And, and he has owned what Christ accomplished for himself. It's the heart of his ministry. It's, it's, it, this is what drives Peter. That Jesus suffered. That Jesus rose for him to glory. And Peter says, I'm a partaker now in these things. Why does, why does Peter bring this point here? Why is he taking all this time? Why not just cut to the chase and give us the command? Shepherd the flock. That's the, that's the meat. Why doesn't he get there? Why does he have this on-ramp where he talks about how he's a fellow elder and then he goes on to point the, uh, the elders there to the sufferings and glories of Christ. Why? I think it's because what he's about to command them is a very hard task. Peter himself knew this connection between um, being called to be a shepherd and being called to lay down his life. Right? We read this already, John 21 earlier. Jesus calls Peter to feed his sheep, feed his lambs, tend his flock, and then he tells him, you will die for this. You will, you will uh, lay down your life for this, Peter. He says to him in those same verses where he calls him to feed his sheep, he promises him that he will be a martyr because he's an under-shepherd of Christ. So Peter has his whole life, you know, before his, his life is before him, and he knows what's at the end. He knows how it will end. 
that this being an under-shepherd of Christ will cost him everything. But he's doing it out of this, uh, this uh, overwhelming sense of gratitude for what Christ has done for him. And this is what gives him an unconquerable hope and a, and a, and a faithfulness in the work of, of, of laying down his life as an under-shepherd. It's a hard task. So he keeps his eyes on the Lord Jesus. And, and he's uh, telling the elders there, it's a hard task. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. All right, that's verse 1. Verse 2. We get to the command here. Peter says, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That's the heart of the command. He'll go on to spell it out a little more in verses uh, 2 through 4. He, he gives us three aspects of the charge here. He gives us the what what you're supposed to do. He gives them the how they're supposed to do it and then the why they're supposed to do it. The what, the how, and the why. The what is very straightforward, isn't it? He says, shepherd the flock that's among you. It's, it's very straightforward. He doesn't spell it out for them here. Um, in order to understand what this, what this calling is, what, it, what does it mean to shepherd? We've got to look at some other scriptures and bring in some other things. Um, in, in his book, The Shepherd Leader, Tim Whitmer, uh, uh, which is a wonderful book on, on being a pastor and an elder, he identifies four main functions of shepherding, what biblical leadership looks like, four main functions of a, of a biblical, godly under-shepherd. And uh, we'll, we'll just run through those quick here, because this is a good synopsis of what the shepherding task is. First, he says, shepherds have to know their sheep. All right, and we saw this last Lord say, John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? He knows his sheep. I know my sheep. And uh, so under shepherds must follow the example of the chief shepherd. We too must know the flock that God has called us to. We've got to know our congregations. This should go without saying, but uh, unfortunately it's all too easy not to, to really get to know the people in the church. Everyone in the church, every member of the church that God has given us to care for. So we need to set ourselves to do this. And, and one, of the, one of the ways we're going to try to do this better is through these shepherding groups. Or to keep, uh, keep a pulse in the whole church. Get to know everybody in the whole church better. Peter himself underlines this point here, I think, when he says in verse 2 right here in our text, he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Right? The shepherds have to live among the flock. They must know the flock. Shepherds need to smell like the sheep. As it's been put. So know the flock. But not only know them, we, that's where we start, but we also, have to, we also have to feed the sheep. That's the second aspect of biblical shepherding ministry. You've got to know the sheep, and then you've got you to feed them. You've got to feed them. We saw this already, right? This is exactly how Jesus defined shepherding to Peter in John 21. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of them. Feed them. The charge against the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34, which we saw a couple weeks ago, was that they did not feed the sheep. So under shepherds need to feed. They need to feed the church with the word of God. This means we don't feed people with our own agenda. We don't push our own opinions or, or a, a hobby horse that we might want to ride. We don't, we don't give cultural commentary, but we preach the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We counsel the Word of God. 
It is the, it is the food. That is the food we give. First Peter 2, the same letter that we're in, calls God's word spiritual milk. This is what we need to grow and to thrive and to flourish. Feed people with the word. We also need to feed people according to their, their, their abilities and, and capacities. Right? We don't, you don't give a steak to an infant. Right? You, you, you need to give what's appropriate to each, each sheep. And, and you need to, to do that well. And you need to you know, push people and have high expectations and encourage them and seek growth. Uh, but at the same time, you need to accommodate and, and, uh, and feed all the sheep. Right? I heard it many, many times in past internships. Don't preach to the giraffes. Feed the sheep. The third thing that uh, the shepherding task requires is leadership. You've got to know the sheep, you've got to feed the sheep, you've got to lead the sheep. Elders, the pastor, we must, um, we must lead. Uh, this is part of the calling of being a shepherd. We have, to, we have to know God's word, we have to know the people, and we have to apply God's word to our context and think through where, where does God call us to go in his word as we apply it to, to our situation right now. We have to, we can't just shepherd haphazardly, aimlessly, without intention. We need to shepherd uh, with, with uh, diligence and with a plan in place. Right? This is what we see in Psalm 23, how the Lord leads his people as a shepherd. Psalm 78, same thing. He led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. We have to lead even as the Lord does for his sake. And finally, shepherds also must protect their sheep. You've got to know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. Again, this is what we see in, in a text, Ephesians, excuse me, in, in Acts chapter 20. Paul is uh, saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. He knows he's not going to see them again. These are dear brothers. He's labored with long. And, and he says to them, as he's leaving, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So Paul says, shepherd the flock by protecting them. Protect them from sin. Protect them from false teachers. Protect them from, uh, uh, from, from bully sheep. Right? We saw the bully sheep in Ezekiel 34 who go and they eat what they want and then dirty the food so no one else can have it. Right? We've got to protect from, from those. We've got to protect from uh, those within and without who are enemies of the true people of God. Well, my professors at Westminster used to say the elder's task is to feed sheep and hunt wolves. Uh, feed sheep, protect the sheep, hunt the wolves. So that's the shepherding task. And, and Peter doesn't go into all that detail here, but we see it as we bring in these other texts and look at the wider picture. So let's, let's, let's return now to more, more specifically to this text in 1 Peter 5 and see where Peter does focus. He calls the elders to shepherd the flock of God. And, and then he, he, he zeroes in on how they are to do this. Right, he wants them to shepherd, but his, his big focus here is on how they are to do it, the manner in which they are to shepherd, how, how they are to do this. In verses 2 and 3, we get three pairs of opposites. 
Three pairs of opposites, something the elders are not supposed to do and something they are supposed to do. First, Peter says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Don't, don't do this. Don't shepherd the flock because you feel like uh, if you don't, you'll be punished. Don't, don't shepherd the flock because you, you're under compulsion to do it. Do it willingly, gladly. Don't, don't act like a, like a slave. Act like a son as you do this. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller once made the point that the pulpit should not drive us into the Bible, but the Bible should drive us into the pulpit. He's, he's saying that, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't go study the Bible each week, you know, as pastors, because we have a job to do on Sunday. We should, we should get into the pulpit each Sunday because we've been, we've been driven there by the Word of God, filled with the Word of God, and we are uh, willing and eager to preach it. And, and we can extend that out to the elders' task as a whole, can't we? That's kind of what Peter is saying here. Don't do this under compulsion. Don't do this, do this because it's your job. Do it because this is your calling from God and it's your delight to do it. Peter goes on, the second pair of opposites. He says, don't do this for dishonest gain, but eagerly. A very similar point to the one he's just made. Under shepherds should not be motivated by greed, but by an eager desire to serve God's flock. We don't want to be hired hands. We don't want to be like the mercenaries that Jesus condemns in John 10, the hired help that's just there as long as it serves their own interests. We don't want to lead just as long as it puffs us up and makes us feel good about ourselves or we're getting more than we're giving. We're to do it eagerly out of our great joy to do it. The third pair of opposites that we get here. He says, not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, we, are, we are not to lord it over the sheep. Elders, pastors are to lead by example. Not, not driving the sheep from behind, but leading them from the front. There's a, a, a story that Tim Whitmer tells in his book, The Shepherd Leader. He talks about how over in Israel... Um, these tourists were, were, were going on a guided tour, and the, the Israeli tour guide was, uh, was leading them through the, through the, the countryside, and they saw um, a shepherd leading his sheep. And the tour guide said, well, that's how it's always done here. That you'll never see uh, a, a, a true shepherd driving the sheep from behind. You'll always see him out in the front. A little after this, um, these tourists get back on the, on the tour bus. They're going along, and, and they, they look out the window, and they see a flock of sheep, and it looks like there's a shepherd driving the sheep. So they point this out to the, uh, to the tour guide, and he stops the bus, he gets off, he talks to the shepherd, and it turns out it's not the shepherd at all, it's the butcher driving the sheep. And he gets back on the bus, he says it wasn't the shepherd, it's the butcher. A shepherd never drives the sheep. He leads by example. They're to be out in front, showing the gospel by their very lives. In all this, what Peter is saying is that we are called to be servants, humble in our ministry. That's what ministry is, service. That's what minister means. It means a servant. Right? We are not chief shepherds. We are under shepherds. We can't ever lose sight of that. Ed Clowney, a great OPC pastor, professor at Westminster some time ago, writes this. He says, a shepherd is not, an under-shepherd is not a stand-in for the Lord. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree, 
He enforces the revealed will of the Lord, not his own wishes. If church governors add to or subtract from the word of God, they make themselves lord over the consciences of others. We can't do that. Only the Lord is the Lord. Our task is to serve, to carry out the Lord's will. To, to follow the good shepherd who, who, who wraps the towel around his waist and gets down on his knees and serves the sheep. Again, Ed, Ed Clowney puts it so well. He says this, The stairway to the ministry is not a grand staircase, but a back stairwell that leads down to the servants' quarters. You can say that about pastoral ministry. You say it about the elders calling. Not a grand staircase, right, where you go up to, to, uh, to, to be honored and, and to enjoy something wonderful. It's a back stairwell where you're going down to the servants' quarters, to the call of humility. We can extend that out to the whole Christian life, can't we? So this is, this is Peter's focus. Yes, he says, be shepherds, and we unpacked a bit of what that meant, but his, his focus here especially is on how we carry out this ministry among you. We must preach and teach and live out the gospel too, marked by humility. Then Peter turns. So we've seen the what of shepherding. We've seen the, the how of shepherding. And now we look at the why. He addresses our motivation. Why should elders do this? It's a hard task to go down to the servants' quarters and be a servant and an under-shepherd. Shepherding is hard. Why should we do this? Verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's what drives Peter. That's what should drive us too. Our eyes on Christ. The reward he will bring. There is no, uh, there is no uh, sacrifice we can make that the reward he will bring is not worth it. Our eyes are fixed on him and all our shepherding. We are driven to glorify him. We are driven by enjoying him. We are driven and motivated by the thought of the reward he will give us as he is pleased with us for our work. See, all, all, all the pastor's orientation, all the elders, you know, whole orientation is Christ's work. That's why Peter began talking about the suffering and glory of Christ he's a partaker in. And now he talks about how his motivation is to glorify and enjoy Christ, the chief shepherd, at his appearing. All right, this is our eyes in this work are always on the Lord Jesus. Well, at this point, perhaps you're thinking, this is a good sermon for elders and pastors. Why do I need to be here and, and listen to this? Well, even if we stopped here, which we're not quite stopped yet, uh, even if we were to, there would be good application, wouldn't there? What should you look for in a pastor or an elder? What should you expect from your elders? How should you pray for them? What's the task they've been called to? How can I encourage them in it and pray for them in it? We need that, loved ones. I need that. And the elders, we need that. Your prayers and support and encouragement to be the kind of under-shepherds that we're called to be. But there's more. Peter goes on, and he does turn now to the, to the sheep, to the flock. Uh, he turns his attention on those who are under the shepherd's leadership. So he's commanded the elders to lead. Now he commands the people to follow. He says this as, as we go on to verse 5. He says, submit yourselves, right? Submit yourselves to your elders. He singles out the younger people, but uh, probably because younger people often need to be told to submit and learn that lesson more. But I think he has in mind the whole church is called to follow the leadership and submit to the leadership that God has put in place. 
as the under-shepherd leads, you know, uh, as the pastor and the elders lead you by Christ, for Christ, and the, under the authority of Christ, you must follow them. You must submit. Uh, not, not, not because of us or our words, but because of Christ and His Word. What does this mean? Insofar as, as I and the elders speak God's Word, Loved ones, you must submit to that word. There's, there's a wonderful, um, you know, there's a, there's a strong requirement there, isn't there? Um, if we're speaking God's word, you, you must obey, not because of us, because it's God's word. At the same time, there's a wonderful protection there. We may not step out the bounds of God's word. That there's a limit on this, this authority. The, the, the classic terms for church authority are that it's ministerial and declarative. That it, that's ministerial, that it's servant authority, it's delegated authority, it's under a greater authority, under Christ, and that it's declarative. That we're not doing anything but declaring the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, applying the Word of God. That is the full extent of church authority. So, loved ones, are you striving to submit yourselves in Christ for His sake to the Word of God as it comes to you through the leadership of the church? Are you endeavoring to, to submit yourselves to that word? If you're going to do this, what do you need? You need humility. And that's where Peter goes next. He goes on and he calls for humility in verse 5. He says, be clothed with humility. Put it on, wear it, live in it. Be clothed with humility. What is humility? Calvin says this, he says... That man is truly humble, who neither claims any personal merit in the sight of God, nor proudly despises his brethren, or aims at being thought superior to them, but reckons it enough that he is one of the members of Christ, and desires nothing more than that the head alone should be exalted. It's Calvin. Always worthwhile reading Calvin. He doesn't, he doesn't say humility is beating up on yourself, um, uh, thinking about how terrible you are. He says humility is considering yourself and others in the light of who God is, right? being filled with, with uh, you know, a clear sight and sense of God's glory and His grace, and being humbled beneath them, remembering who you are before God, remembering who each other is before God. And so this is what Peter this is, this is where Peter goes, even as he talks about authority in the church, under shepherds, submission to them, uh, all of it is under this. It's all under who God is and His glory and His grace. He says here, he says, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Isn't it interesting? All of you be submissive to one another. Didn't he just call the younger people to submit to the elders? Isn't he calling the, the church leadership to lead? But now he says, all of you be submissive to one another. What's he mean? He's, he, he's talking about humility, about humbling yourself and your desires before one another. Not counting yourself as more significant than anyone else. So he goes and he calls us all to humility, because this is the only way that um, this is the only way that a church will thrive. 
This is the only way ministry in the church will thrive. Leadership will thrive and the people of the church will thrive. If we are together under, uh, under God, under the chief shepherd, in awe of him and his glory and his grace. This humility is non-negotiable for us, loved ones. We can't lead and you can't support and follow our leadership without humility. We are all under God together. We need to be in awe of Him, in awe of His glory, His authority, His power, His holiness, and in awe of His grace. In awe of the chief shepherd. Isn't that where Peter keeps directing our gaze? To the chief shepherd, to our, to our Lord Jesus, right? And, and His perfect leadership, His perfect love for us. We are all following Him and under His authority together. So, loved ones, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. Elders, if you're called to lead, do it humbly with your eyes on Christ. People of God, if you're called to submit to the leadership God has put in place, do it humbly with your eyes on the chief shepherd, your Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. How precious your word is to us. It is our life. We pray that you would work it deep in us and uh, cause us to walk more faithfully and more humbly before you, our God, in the calling that you've given us, whatever it might be, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn.